Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast. If you listened yesterday, then you know that we are talking with Master of Fantasy, R.A. Salvatore. Yesterday, we caught up with Bob and talked about his two new releases that are dropping this summer, as well as some interesting conversation about the fantasy genre. Today, we delve into what Bob says is his favorite subject, world building. Bob shares with us some very eye-opening views on world building and how character affects everything. Get your notebook out. This episode is packed with wisdom from a master at the height of his craft. Um, Bob, I, I I really want to talk to you about world building, and yeah. um, and and Doug has posted a question um, that that I think is a great transition question. So he says, not necessarily about writing. But what has the recent resurgence of D&D been like for someone who has been such a big part of stories in the Forgotten Realms? Um, my my two sons uh, recently, well, in the last couple of years, have really gotten into D&D. And my oldest son, uh, who's an English teacher, is uh, is DMing his first game right now. Perfect. And... Um, you know, so I, I get to, you know, casually drop things like, oh, you know, I I know Bob Salvatore. He's he's been on our show a couple of times and <laughs> you know, and you know, heads explode. And that's a, a fun thing that I get to do. But um uh, you came in to the Forgotten Realms in the eighties and you had you had this this story idea and um you're taking a character uh whose character class had already been established and but you're going to do something different with it um so you know some fantasy authors just make up fantasy worlds out of out of whole cloth i do that, you, you, you <laughs> do that. and uh, but you also inherited a certain amount of that but then have have taken what you inherited and expanded enormously um you know and to you, you really could could say that you've established the Salvatore verse um, in a lot of respect. <laughs> um, but first off, at, to Doug's question, you know, how do you feel about the the new resurgence of D and D and 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 this whole new audience that's discovering the stuff that we've loved for thirty five years? I think it's great. I think it's absolutely great because it's look, um, escapism is not a bad word. When you live in a world of 8 billion people where you can't control anything, being able to go hang out with your friends and control the fate of a world in a game is a blast. Um, it, it puts people around the table together or around the computer screens hooking up in a positive way. Yeah. Right? Um, I think it's fantastic. And I also think what's really fantastic about it is that the groups, well, first of all, the stigma has gone. Right? Yeah. You know, if, you, if you're watching Stranger Things, and I'm sure most of the people listening have watched Stranger Things, yeah, the Hellfire Club that that was kind of extreme. Most people I knew playing D and D weren't like clubs and of that of that level right. or whatever. But the way they were treated was pretty common in high schools, right? 
Yeah. Um, the other show I would recommend is the last episode of Freaks and Geeks called Discos and Discos and Dragons, I think it's called. <laughs> and look, if, if you have a place where you can go and be who you are and have fun doing it, what, what's not to love? So right. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about it. And I think they did a fantastic job on 5e. And then you have things like D&D Beyond, Roll20, these new tools that are coming up just to make your game better and easier to play. I know Roll20 helped a lot of people, especially during the pandemic. That I know it came out a couple of years before the pandemic. But when the pandemic hit, all of a sudden people had a way to connect with each other remotely. Right. It and brought a lot of community groups back together. Yeah, yeah. Because people and, had moved out of town or whatever. It changed and, the game. And so we were using Roll20. Then we went back around the table, and we have a whiteboard that we would draw on, and I had typewriter keys with numbers that we used for monsters and stuff. And it just wasn't singing for us, and we finally dropped that. And now we just plug in the big screen TV. We don't even have it on the table. We have it on the wall. We plug it in. We all have our tokens that we can move around when it goes to a new map and stuff. And the game got rich, got richer. Um, so I love this stuff. And, and the fact that you can you can do it and it's going to help you keep in mind all the things you have, all the abilities you have, I think it's been a godsend. And I think 5e is a hell of a system. They've done a really good job with it. And most of the expansions that I've seen, like Tasha's and Xanathar's and all that, they're really good. These There's a lot of talent working in this world, in this D&D world right now. I think it's great. I think it's great. What's not to like? What's not to like if you can bring people around the table and and be yourself yeah. or be someone completely different than yourself. Put on a, fa a different face and just play act. What's not to right. like? Right. Well, um, world building. I know you have uh, opinions about world building. It's one of your favorite things. as, as you. It said. is my favorite thing to do as a writer. So when when you uh, well first when you began uh, you know back in the in the late eighties um, what were your what were your ideas about the world you inherited and what you would how you would expand it I know you signed on for one book originally but you did some things in that one book that made people want more and more and more yeah but here's the thing the thing that the thing that I like I didn't know the Forgotten Realms when I signed on to do the Forgotten Realms they weren't out yet at all um the only the only thing that i got when i was writing my book was doug niles book the first one dark walker on moonshake the, the box set wasn't up but i got the original maps from ed um and what but what i loved when i finally got my hands on that gray box out of the forgotten realms was how much of the world was little defined or undefined undefined so what that just did is it gave you the perfect base to put your games in but as a writer it gave me carte blanche when i we spent two weeks trying to figure out where I could put my book to not bump into all the other projects, game and book that they had in the world. And I finally got frustrated and I looked at the map and I said, you see a little line above the spine of the world? And Mary Kurtzoff said, I think that's a typo. I said, we'll leave it because that's Icewind Dale. Too cool. That's Icewind Dale. It's yours. And, you know, they let me have a drow sidekick who became a main character, which surprised everybody over there. But, um, the beauty of the realms for writers in the early days were that you had you were free it, it's almost like writing a book about world war ii right you have to know the geography mm -hmm. you have to know like where 
the Nazis are, where the Axis powers are, where the Allies are. You have to know all that stuff. You have to know the technology. In the Forgotten Realms, you have to know the various powers in the areas you might be going into, if they're already established. And you have to know the technology. And by that, I mean the game rules. That's the technology of the world. The lightning bolt of it is the, is the M16 of the Forgotten Realms. I think they were using M6. No, they probably they probably weren't using M16s when they. Yeah, they were because that was in the 60s when they had created it. But anyway, um, so you know the technology, you know the world boundaries, and you have a place where your whole clock. When I was going to write after they decided that they told me at the end of Halfling's Gem that that was it, we were going to go on. If I was going to keep working, be new characters. People are done with these characters. They said in 1989, and they were wrong. Um, but when they came back and said people want to know where Dritz came from, I looked at the, I think it was it was either the Fiendfall or Unearthed that Canada had like a two-page trial entry. Um, I had the old modules, Queen of the Demon Web Pits, uh, Descent to the Depths of the Earth, Fall of the Drow. But that was it. And they really didn't flesh it all out. And I said, well, what else are you going to send me for the Drow? And they said, that's it. You know, that's all we have. Um, and I said, well, what do you want from me? They said, Create the drown the realms, and you know we had the signposts that they were they were considered evil by the surface races. They worshipped Loth, in and I said in that city, and then you know by ninety one, Elastray was out there. The good the idea of good draw isn't just mine. I mean Elastray's been around since for thirty years, right? right? Um, because it makes sense because individual agency, reasoning beings. Um, and so I got to play. I got to just do my thing, and nobody was bothering me. So I got to create Icewind Dale. I got to create Men's of Berenzan. I got to create Spirit Soaring, the lands that Catherly was in. I got to create Mithril Hall. I got to take the concept of Gauntlegrim and make it a real place. I got to create now the, the North, Caladay, in the far north, North Pole. Um, and they, there really weren't any restrictions on it. It was like creating my Demon Wars world. Same process. And the process I use, by the way, is I just I just know history. I know cultures. I understand how people react together. Um, you know, cultures don't happen in a vacuum. They happen because of geography. They happen because of availability of, of, of needs, right? I mean, if you live in a super hot area that's full of berries and fruits and stuff, you're probably not building castles. Right. Right. If you live in a really cold area, when you have to go out there and hunt for your food against animals that are going to kill you if you don't do it right, you're probably going to build technology that transfers to war. These are the kind of things that just happen in our history. So I study history. I read books. I read about cultures. And I, and I understand the flavor of them. And that's what I look to put in the cultures I put in my fantasy world so that they, in the person's heart, it should seem new and fresh, but somehow familiar. So if you're reading Menzo Berenzan and you happen to have watched The Godfather recently, you probably understand where it came from. And if you're reading Caladay and you know anything about pre-Renaissance Italy, you probably know where Caladay, a lot of it came from. So I, I think when a lot of people think world building, they're thinking um, the the terrain, the vegetation, uh, the um, 
the climate. Yeah. And and then other folks might think, well, well, world building is really about characters and and the societies that are that are built. But but what you're saying, and I and I completely, uh, I'm, I'm latching on to what you're saying here is that the one affects the other. Um, Absolutely, the terrain, the climate can affect how a society is built and how that society behaves and how that society defends itself, and and then those things then become political systems and and then those political systems then you know become warring factions with other political systems and yep. uh and and it all or started they become with, training partners with other political systems exactly when i did my demon wars world i started with the gemstone magic now i didn't create gemstone magic i mean that there, there are people that buy crystals they think are powerful in our world today you know, that this is something that's been throughout history where their gems are, you know, there, there are magical properties associated with gems in fables and folklore throughout our history. Sure. As, as, a, as a species. And there are some properties that, like, I don't think people, if you went in the cave full of giant crystals, it would be really hot. They throw off energy. Um, that's true. That's 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 reality. There are caves you can't go in and stay in for more than a few minutes, or you will die because of the crystals. Um, so I had this idea for gemstone magic, and I and I figured out which gemstone would do what, how you could combine them and everything. And then I had to figure out well, how are you going to get them? So I came up with a world that had uh, a ring, a noted ring, around it, and every now and then, like we have the Perseid media showers, they would have showers of gemstones from above but only in certain places and the gemstones came down and they had magic they had magical they had energy that you could tap which is magic to them and they one group figured out how to treat the stones when they get them fresh basically and preserve them to hold the magic in it well that became the main church of the world the abelican church because Look at these guys. They have magic. They, they talk to God, right? So then you have the Abelican church. And that structure built up. What would that mean for the kings and queens around? What would that mean? How would the church control the kings and queens? Right. Oh, you're sick? We have a gemstone that can heal that. You should let us build that chapel over there. <laughs> right? Then as I expand the world, like when I did the Coven series, well, sure as heck, you find out in another part of the same continent, there are crystal caves that emanate magic, and there are witches that have learned how to tap those energies. So it's the same magic system, but being used a little bit differently. And out of that grew the cultures of the area. You have all these tribes around a lake. You have another tribe that lives up on the mountain. You can't live up on the mountain without magic. You're at 13,000 feet in a place that's, you know, cold at times. And right. Six feet of snow will fall. You will die. You can't live up there, but you have magic. And you have a magical area that defies the elements because of the power of the crystals. Well, what does that mean? It means you have a, a group of people living up on a mountain, a tribe living up on a mountain that has an, an enormous advantage over the fishermen who live down by the lake. And the cultures get defined by that. And the attitudes of the characters get defined by that. And in that series, as with the Dritz series, there was someone 
A witch named Alan, who I love dear, dearly, might be my favorite character to write right now, who decided this isn't right. They're not what they told me. These people down there were monsters. They're not. They're people. What are we doing? And again, individual agency in a world of magic created around it, that a magic that has set boundaries, so there's no deus ex machina moment about to happen, and, and makes sense and logic. And then you have to make the technology of that world work with the magic. Because like, if I can throw a lightning bolt, why am I going to design a gun? Right. But if only a few people can throw the lightning bolts, maybe the other people are tired of getting hit by lightning bolts, so they design guns. Right. Right? If I can if I can flick my fingers and light up the logs in the fireplace, I don't need matches. Technology and magic replace each other. Back the first book I booked I wrote was called Echoes of the Fourth Magic. And the fourth magic was technology. Um <laughs> because I've always been interested in fantasy worlds of how the world develops along the same lines as our world. Right. You know, culturally, it, 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 a lot of the worlds seem to be very similar, but you have magic replacing invention. And so to anyone who's a writer who wants to build, anyone listening who's a writer who wants to go and build a world, I, I strongly recommend you go find the, the 1970s series, uh, the PBS 13 parters that they were doing. There were three that I strongly suggest every world builder look at. The first one would be uh, Sagan's Cosmos, just because everyone should watch Sagan's Cosmos. Yeah. Second would be Connections, which is really powerful. But the third one, the one that most influences me, is called The Ascent of Man, and it's by Jacob Bronowski. And what Bronowski does is he looks at the history of mankind. Instead of going war to war, battle to battle, empire to empire, he goes invention to invention to show how we went from rubbing sticks together to make fire to building nuclear bombs. And it's absolutely brilliant. And it's 13 parts. I wish they would. Re I don't think it's been remastered. And it really should be because the sound is still, you know, it's all analog. It's, it's, right. The thing's, you know, 50 plus years old. But it is wonderful. I still have the book. I studied it in college. This is where it all got me going. I'm looking so, at the world differently. Uh, I love it. Um, a lot of people think about fantasy writing, and and to them, there's a, an argument between: Are you a a world builder, uh, fantasy author, or are you a character development fantasy author? Yeah. In, in hearing you talk, they are they're closely intertwined, and you almost cannot separate your world building from your character development. I don't know that that's always true with authors. We all do it differently. You know, yeah. you ask an author how they write a book, ask 10 authors how they write the book, and you'll get at least nine different answers. Um, <laughs> Sometimes you get 15 different answers. For me, I love building the world. But the way I show the reader the world is I fall in love with the character and let the character take me on the journey with the reader. So I see the world through the eyes of the characters, period, when I'm writing. And uh, a dear friend who one of the most influential writers of the 20th century became my dear friends from my hometown, Robert Cormier, I am cheese, the chocolate war. Oh, yeah. Most of us read him in school. Um, he 
kind of took me under his wing when I got my first rejection letters. And we had this long conversation. I called him up because his phone number was the actual the the phone number in I am the cheese was his actual phone number at that time. <laughs> and, I, and and he would visit the schools and stuff. So I'd see him. And I, I actually called him up and he kept me on the phone for a couple of hours. And, wow. and he, what he drummed into my head was character is more important than story. If you have a great story with terrible characters, nobody cares. If you have a right. mediocre story, but people care about your characters, they'll love the book. Right. And, that was, and I believe them. And, I, and so for me, when I'm writing, the most important thing is development of the characters as they're going through this world I made that makes sense. So, yeah, it's both. Love it. But I can't speak for other authors because we all do it. Doug asks, uh, if you were to start building a new world today, where would you start? Uh, the geography, history, culture, magic, or something else? Or, or can they be separated? Well, I am building a new world today and expanding my demon wars. And um, what was most important in that world was geography at this point. Because I already have the magic system, right? And, and so basically, um, I had to do a lot of research about, about um the americas and the caribbean and pirates yeah. and um but geography plays a huge part of that right um so for that one it was but it would depend on what i'm doing like demon war started with magic because i really wanted yeah. to do something i really wanted a magic system that was mine that i also turned into an rpg once upon a time too and we <laughs> played for six years and had a blast um but I wanted, I wanted to start with the magic system. And then as I tried to figure out how, well, how do these gems, how do they get them? If the gemstones are magical, couldn't anybody like pick up a diamond and make it light or dark or pick up a, it's not just gemstones, minerals, pick up some graphite and hit you with a lightning bolt. Um, but no, because of the geography and the geography determined the cultures. The geography leading to who controlled the magic determined the way the cultures developed. All tied together. Wow. So, so Bob, um, having these worlds that you have built or have expanded um, for so many years, um, are there things that you do to keep pushing the boundaries? And, you, you know, you, you talked about those early days where, you know, the map, uh, you, you took a typo on a map and created a whole society out of it. Um, you, you know, with with it have if it has been expanding so much over the last few decades that you would think that um, the worlds were becoming kind of set in stone. Um, are there things that you can do to keep pushing those boundaries, even in a well-established world? Some characters in Starlight Enclave found one character in particular got cast into the far north, the very far north, and couldn't understand why the sun wouldn't set. And it drove her crazy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I found the place in the realms that nobody was at, the polar north. I created a glacier out of the body of one of the wind gods who lay down there, and the glacier grew around him. I filled it with a society that built logically up there as they were trying to hide from the rest of the world and another society of nemesis on the other end of the glacier and built the new world in the Forgotten Realms. There's nothing in the Forgotten Realms like Calais. 
or the Khadij Glacier. There's nothing in the realms like that. I found a place to hide. I always find places to hide. <laughs> Only my grandkids can find me. <laughs> so, so you can come up with a, a scenario and then think, well, what could support this scenario? And then the, the what if game just starts playing in your mind? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what do cultures in the cold north look like? The very cold north. You know, the, the, uh, they look very different than the cultures yeah. in the temperate zones, which look very different from the cultures in, in the equatorial zones, generally speaking. Right. Um, but how do you, you know, you have scarcities up north, right? But I have a big population up there, but how would it support it? It's the frozen north. You're not going to go out and hunt enough to, well, that's magic comes. You can create food if you're a priest, but you're creating boring food. Well, maybe they find out now not to create boring food. And so they don't have to go hunting, but they have other things they're going to do instead. And, you know, they, they, they fiercely protect their city, but it's not really under assault except from one group that every now and then. So what do they do to stay sharp? What do they do to stay ready for battle? Well, they have a great way of staying ready for battle. And it's based on the historical, there's a historical precedent for exactly what I did in there with the blood sport that they do. Um, again, it, it just keeps building on itself. Well, what would they do about their clothes? And, you know, the logical clothing for up north would be seal skin. It's so dense, right? But you're not going to go kill all the seals. How many seals are there to kill? You're right. It's frozen. It's not on the ocean. Um, but we have magic. Oh, look. And, oh, we're drow, so we have spiders. And that helps, too. <laughs> but they don't worship them the way the Lothians do. They you, use you talked about your Demon Wars uh series uh earlier and does having another property like that to work in does that uh help you on your other series that you're right I, I guess what i'm asking is does taking a break from one series working on something else then when you come back um are you able to to look at it with fresh eyes with a, a new imaginative uh yeah, or I can try something out, something out in a minor scale in one world and then bring it to the other. Like I did a story that was Audible exclusive called One-Eyed Jacks. And it was about Jarlax yes. and Luskin and about pirates and about having to deal with some really bad developments with the pirates. Yeah. They were getting very bold and they were getting unstoppable. And he had to deal with it if he wanted to keep his hold on Luskin. Um, but I, after, I did that story and that came to me because I was working on the next Demon War series, which is Pirates. So I did on a small scale and tried out some things, started doing my research. And then, of course, I just bring it much bigger. It's different. The, the, the arms race in Demon Wars on the ships is very different than the than what was going on in the world with Jell Axel. But um, yeah, I mean, you bring things back and forth. I can do more things with my Demon Wars world than I can with the realms. I don't need someone's permission to blow up a city. I just do it. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I I think the books serve a different purpose creatively for me. Um, they're bigger in scope, and don't fall in love with too many characters because not many of them are going to make it out alive, and they're not coming back in Demon Wars. <laughs> they're gone. They're gone. You make it a ghost back short for a very brief visit, but they're gone. Um, 
So yeah, they, they, they give me two halves of the creativity I want. I love it. And if you're worried about uh, whether Bob Salvatore will kill off one of your favorite characters or not, remember he's the man who killed you. Uh, 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 we don't talk about chewing. No, no, no. <laughs> he's Bob, a princess. I'm off the hook. Leave me alone. There you go. There you go. They made me do it. They did. <laughs> Bob, I know you've got a, a busy day of, uh, uh, of promotions uh, that still yet to do. Uh, Glacier's Edge, book two of The Way of the Drow is out now everywhere. Go grab it. And The Dow of Drizzt comes out in a couple weeks. September 20th. September 20th. All right. We're going to put links uh, where folks can, can grab both of those in the notes of this episode. Uh, Bob, always a pleasure catching up with you thank you for coming on the show today absolutely Hank. thanks for having me back that's our episode for today there's lots of great author interviews to come as well as some special episodes about the business of writing coming very soon be sure to subscribe to the storycraft cafe podcast and your favorite podcast app to never miss an episode thanks for listening 